Good morning, I'm Pastor Allen. Great to see everyone here. And as has already been stated, Friday night was amazing. And thank you for your, your part in that. And we planted seeds and Pastor Clint even got to share the gospel and we'll see what God does with it. But he did show up and show off. That was awesome. We're in a series called David. And obviously it's about a guy named David. And he's lived like 3,000 years ago. He eventually became the second king of Israel. Uh, last week we talked about killing a giant. Today we're going to talk about killer giants, and hopefully it'll make sense in a few minutes. But one thing we said last week, and then we'll move on for this week, was this. David loved the law even when the law condemned him, which is pretty rare. Um, are you happy when, the, when the, the state trooper stops you and gives you a ticket? No, 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 it's all right. But that's a little bit different. This is God. God gave the law. So God is condemning him through the law, and he welcomed that, and he confessed that. And, of course, that was one of the reasons he was such a great person. Now, we're going to discover something else this morning, and uh, we'll put that on the screen, and that's this. The ways of God are most unappealing and seemingly, not really, but seemingly irrelevant when we are angry and or lonely and or afraid. That's the three giant killers we're going to talk about today. Anger, loneliness, and fear. They undermine our character. They undermine who we are. They undermines uh, our decision process. Uh, we crash through moral barriers that we would normally not crash through. We do things we wouldn't normally do. We say things we wouldn't normally say. And if you want to think about it this way, think about your greatest regrets in your life. We all have them, right? I can almost guarantee you at least one, if not all three of these were involved, weren't they? Because we do that dumb stuff. We do stuff we regret when we are angry, lonely, or afraid. And the emotional stress or pressure from these, uh, these emotions become almost overwhelming. They overwhelm us. And so we do those things we shouldn't or no, normally wouldn't do. In fact, put on the next slide, we feel as a result, compelled to do something, anything, just to relieve the tension, the stress, to try and change the situation, hopefully improve the situation. The only problem is, what usually happens? Does it get better? It gets worse. It makes the situation worse. Is it less complicated? No, it becomes more complicated. So we're going to look at an um, incident out of the life of David. Now, most people know of a big mess up in David's life, right? We'll talk about that, I think, two weeks from now. Uh, he was probably in his 50s when that happened. Today, we want to talk about probably equally as big a mess up when he was 22. This is about seven years after he kills Goliath. And uh, Saul's the king, and Saul was insecure anyway, but as David became more popular and more popular, then Saul became more insecure. He became jealous in fact, he started to try and figure out ways to get rid of David. Um, originally, he marries, well, originally David rejects the opportunity to marry into the family, thinking he's not worthy. Later on, he does marry one of Saul's daughters, so he's the son-in-law of the king. Um, but, uh, uh, excuse me, King Saul is nervous, anxious, jealous of David, doesn't know what's going to happen. And he gets to the place where he starts trying to kill him. He sends them off to fight the Philistines, hoping they will do it. They don't do that. And so we're going to start where this 
culmination of day, uh, King Saul's fear and paranoia and desire to get rid of David. They have a family gathering, a meal, and most people's family is supposed to show up. And David doesn't show up because he's afraid. And um, Saul finally loses his temper. And we'll pick up the story there. It's amazing the detail that we have from 3,000 years ago in uh, the text, uh, Old Testament. Saul boiled with rage at Jonathan. Jonathan's Saul's oldest son, which is significant because when you're king, who usually is the next king? Your oldest son. So in a normal procedure, Jonathan's in line to be the next king, right? But, but by this time, Jonathan became David's best friend. So we had this tension between Jonathan and his dad and Jonathan and his best friend David. He says to, uh, Saul says to Jonathan, you stupid son of a whore. Now there's some bad language in the Bible, and here it is. Uh, uh, you're a son of a whore, he swore at him. Now, obviously, kings had more than one wife and all that complication. But anyway, hopefully she wasn't there when he said this. Uh, Do you think I don't know what you want, you, that you want him to be king, meaning David, in your place? Shaming yourself and your mother. Because it's your place, and so you're shaming, actually, Saul was thinking about himself. You're shaming me, we're shaming our family, you're shaming yourself by supporting David. So as long as the son of Jesse, that's David, is alive, you'll never be king. He's more popular than you are. He's more popular than I am. Now go and get him so I can kill him. Now this is bizarre, right? You're at this family meal, like thing, uh, Friendsgiving or Thanksgiving, and all of a sudden the patriarch, the, the oldest male, says, hey, I'm going to kill one of my son-in-laws. Well, that's what he's saying here. It's just completely bizarre. David, uh, Jonathan realizes how serious this is and tells David to run away. And so David runs away. And David in this state is what? He's angry, right? He went from being the most popular person in all of Israel. Now he's running for his life. There's a warrant out on him. Um, he's alone. No family around him. He, he's, he, he's ran out and he's on alone. We see this often in Scripture. Uh, turning point when we become literally alone. And of course, he's afraid afraid for his life. The king and the soldiers are trying to kill him. We, I can't imagine being in that state, but that's the state he's in. So consequently, he panics. Most of us would do it in the same, thing. In the same situation, we would panic. Now he panicked, and he entered survival mode, which you and I do then, right? I just need to get through the next hour, the next day, uh, whatever it takes. So he's panicked, he's Drained by these emotions because he's been trying to kill him probably for a couple of years. And now it's climaxed and uh, he's just trying to survive. And so we can look at ourselves and see the same issues, can't we? Uh, when you and I are under emotional stress, whether we're angry about something, maybe something at work, something in our family, maybe we're alone. Maybe you were married and now you're alone. Or maybe your spouse died. Uh, you're alone. Uh, maybe you're just afraid. Fear is so easy. I mean, it just pops in your brain, doesn't it? All of a sudden you got an ache or a pain. Oh, maybe that's something serious. So easy to be afraid. So consequently, we too sometimes panic. 
and do stuff we shouldn't do, stuff we later regret. So David's on the run, and we're going to pick up the story here. He went to the town of Nob to see Ahimelech, the priest. Uh, now, let me explain a little bit. There wasn't a temple yet, so they had the Ark of the Covenant with the Ten Commandments and all that. And so it would be moved from town to town, hopefully to a safe place. And they put a tent around it, and they called it the tabernacle. And the priest took care of it all. So right now, Abimelech's the high priest. There's other priests, and they're in this town, and that's where David goes. Now, Ahimelech trembled when he saw him. Now, this is fascinating. Why would he be so nervous? He says to David, why are you alone? David was never alone. He was so popular to be crowds around him. He would have his soldiers with him, as we'll see in a few minutes. Uh, might have his family with him. He's all alone. He probably looked disheveled. He probably looked kind of odd. Why are you alone? Why is no one with you? Now, here's where the problems begin. This is when those giant killers kills David's character. Because all of a sudden, he starts to lie. What's in the Ark of the Covenant? Ten Commandments. What's one of the top ten? <laughs> Do not lie, right? David would be well aware of that instruction. So there, it's just in proximity to Ten Commandments, and he starts to lie. Uh, the king had sent me on a private matter, he said. Is that what had happened? No. He told me not to tell anyone why I'm here. I told my men to meet me here later, where to meet me later. Is that true? Now, what is there to eat? He, he doesn't even have, he didn't even bring a pack food with him when he left. So he's, give me five loaves of bread and anything else you have. I'm hungry, I'm starving. And I think the, the priest thought he needed food for his troops as well. So here's the... High priest responds, we don't have any regular bread. So it wasn't like there's a bakery there and you just go get some bread. We don't have any regular bread, but there is the holy bread, the, the consecrated bread, the sacred bread, which you can have if your young men have not slept with women recently. So he thinks they're going to get some of this bread, and David assures him that, you know, I, my, my troops are always uh, um, okay in this, in this respect. And it goes on. Since there's no other bread available, the priest gave him the holy bread, the bread of the presence that was placed before the Lord in the tabernacle. It had just been replaced that day with fresh bread. So evidently they made bread, they gave it to God in the tabernacle. And the day old or two day old bread is what the people ate. So what had happened to the 15-year-old David that stood up to this giant Goliath that was uh, insulting his God? And he said, you come with me, sword and spear, but I come in the name of the Lord your God, my God, and it's the Lord's battle, not mine. What happened to that guy? Now, this next character is important to the story a little bit later. A guy by the name of Doeg. He was an Edomite. He's not an Israelite. He's an Edomite. Saul's chief herdsman was there that day, having been detained before the Lord. David asked Ahimelech, do you have a spear or sword? So he is the head, and we're going to see, he's the head of the uh, guard, the king's guard, and he doesn't even have a weapon? 
He's on a secret mission for the king and he doesn't even have a weapon? Here's what he said. Another lie, right? The king's business was so urgent that I didn't even have time to grab a weapon. You know, our, our lies be, build on each other and they get more ridiculous as we go on, right? And that's exactly what happens here. But, notice his response. He's going to be transported back seven years to when he was 15. Because what is the priest's response? The only have the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed, is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. Take it if you want it. There's nothing else here. Okay, evidently, David had taken the sword in appreciation or thanks to God. He had dedicated it to God, so it was left there at the, at the tabernacle. So at this point, that's the only sword. Priests didn't need swords. They didn't have swords. So this is the only available weapon. Can you imagine when he went and, and grasped that weapon? The memories that would have came back? You know, it's really important for us to remember the times when we've had victories, when our faith has sustained us, right? And that's exactly what I had to be flooding through it. This, seven years ago, I had enough faith to believe God to kill a giant and take his sword and cut his head off. But we forget, don't we? Especially when we have fear and anger and loneliness. We forget when God's been faithful. So he says, there's nothing like it. I'm no bigger sword anyway. Give it to me. So, David's thinking is flawed by these emotions, right? And the consequences are huge. It's a disaster that we're going to see. I can't believe, must, I believe that it must have haunted him the rest of his life. But we all have been there, done that, right? Done those things in response to those emotions and have regrets. Hopefully not as severe regrets as David. And it's interesting. We can see it in others easily, right? Why is that person doing that? Why are they acting that way? Why are they with that person we know that's not good for them? Why are they spending money they can't? It's easy to see in other people. Not so easy to see in ourselves, is it? And that's why we so encourage you to be in community. Because when you're in community with other people, they can say, hey, 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 brother, hey, sister. Uh, you think you really want to be doing that? And they can point those things out to us. But here's what we're usually feeling in those, in those moments, in those situations. If God was really with me, this wouldn't be happening, right? My life would be good. I wouldn't be having these struggles. I wouldn't be afraid. I wouldn't be uh, lonely. If God was really with me, so if God's really not with me, then anything is possible, right? Everything's available to me. Another interesting, interesting thing is this. It's easy to trust God when you have nothing to trust him for, or nothing to trust him for. I think about this in camp meetings, young, young people. They'll give themselves to God pretty easily. Because what do they have to sacrifice? They don't have families yet. They don't have jobs yet. They don't have, you know, stuff they've got collected. My wife did this. Thankfully, she stayed faithful after that. But we see it over and over again that once those teenagers become young adults, they get caught up in school and work and family and so forth, then God gets kind of pushed to the side, doesn't it? So it's hard to trust him when we got stuff. 
when things are going great. But that's me, that's you. Now the fascinating thing in the story, where does David go? He goes to the Philistines. His enemy. Bizarre, right? He goes to the enemy, the enemy doesn't trust him. And he gets so bad that he has to feign insanity. And so the king said, oh, he's just, he's lost his mind. <laughs> he's just crazy. And then he winds up in a cave. Okay, so we've got David from the palace, now to the cave. Alone. Angry. Afraid. And if we read the whole text, he seems to come to his senses at this point. He goes, talks to a, to a prophet. You get better perspective. But there's a huge problem. The consequences of his actions. And so, uh, we're going to pick up the story. Remember Doeg? He was there when all this happened with the pre- high priest. So he comes and tells Saul what happened. I don't know the, if he did it kind of, uh-oh, or just telling the facts. But here it is. Ahimelech consulted the Lord for him, meaning David. He gave him food and a sword, the sword of Goliath. So the king sends for Ahimelech and his family, all his family, who served as priests at Nob. And when they arrived, Saul shouted, Listen to me, you son of a high top. What is it, my king? I'm the high priest. I serve you and I serve the people. What, what is it? What is, what's the king want? He goes on. Why have you and the son of Jesse, David, conspired against me? Had he conspired against him? No. But Saul's paranoid. Why did you give him food and a sword? Why have you consulted God for him? Why have you encouraged him to kill me as he is trying to do this very day? Ahimelech's like, What's going on? But sir, he replies, is anyone among you, all your servants, as faithful as David? He's one of your faithful servants. When I'm serving him, I'm serving you. He's your son-in-law. Why, he's the captain of your bodyguard and highly honored member of your household. What was I supposed to do? Deny him? This was certainly not the first time I consulted God for him. May the king not accuse me and my family in this matter, for I knew nothing at all about any plot against you. He's completely innocent, correct? Completely innocent. But what happens? You will surely die, die? along with your entire family? The king shouted. Now, this next verse is fascinating to me. Saul says to his bodyguards, of course, David's not there anymore. Kill these priests, for they are allies and conspirators with David. They knew he was running away from me, but they didn't tell me. Those men refused to kill the Lord's priests. Now, remember, God wanted to be their king, and then he permitted them to have an earthly king, Saul. So Saul is like up there next to God. So if you're anybody in the kingdom, whatever the king said, that happens, right? You don't say no to the king. So it's fascinating that the, the, the guards refused to do this. Now, the, the priest represented God, and maybe they were more afraid of God than Saul. I don't know, but they refused. It's just fascinating. So then the king said to Doeg, remember, the Edomite, 
Turn, uh, you do it. So he turned to them and killed them that day. Eighty-five priests in all, still wearing their priestly garments. The next verse says, and their wives and children. Hundreds of people slaughtered. Why? Because David told a lie. A multiple lies. Why did he lie? Because he was afraid. He was lonely. He was angry. Only Abathar, one of the sons of Ahimelech, escaped and fled to David. And we told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. David exclaimed, Now I have caused the death of all your father's family. I am responsible for hundreds of innocent people being slaughtered by the king. And he had to live with that the rest of his life. So it's pretty serious when we have times of anger, loneliness, and fear when we respond in the wrong way. And all of us have those times. And it's so emotional. That's one reason we make bad decisions, I think. Caught up in the emotions. So I'm going to give you kind of a homework, application, Something to think about. Well, three questions to think about. Here's the first one. Who or what is your anger, loneliness, or fear causing you to consider that you shouldn't consider? Making that purchase you shouldn't consider? Being with that person you shouldn't be with? You know, taking that job that you shouldn't take? Hanging out with those people you shouldn't be hanging out with? Often, if you have an addictive personality... When you get in this, in this emotional state, we relapse until there's addictions, whether they're what we call serious things like drugs, but it could be other things, food addictions, other things. Who or what are you and I considering in those emotional states that we shouldn't consider? And if that's not a wake-up call for you, I think the second one will be. <laughs> Who besides you do your considerations, what you're considering, doing, Put at risk. And the general answer is this. The people you love the most and the people that love you the most. That's the people at risk. When you and I respond inappropriately to fear, anger, and loneliness. And here's the third one. <laughs> what advice would you give to someone who is you? What advice would you give them? I said, it's easy to see in other people. <laughs> that person's not good for you. That's not a wise financial decision, et cetera, et cetera. What advice would you give to someone who is you? Now, David, what we believe, wrote lots of the Psalms, and in the Psalms, we kind of get an insight into his emotional state and his faith. So I'm just going to read two verses from the Psalms, and we'll be just, but it's just about finished. The Lord is a shelter for the oppressed, angry, lonely, <laughs> Afraid. A refuge in times of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you. For you, O Lord, do not abandon those who search for you. We're never really alone. We don't, shouldn't put our trust in things or things that money can buy. Uh, the place we often run away from is where we should run to. Because in this situation, we run from God instead of run to him. And that's a big, huge mistake with disastrous consequences at time. And then a thousand or so years later, 
Somebody by the name of Jesus comes along. And he's addressing a crowd of Israelites who are are afraid, (laughs) angry, how lonely they were. But the Israelites are uh, ruled by the Romans, right? They've been waiting for a thousand years for the Messiah to come. He hasn't come. And here's some words of Jesus, and we'll end with this. Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, anger, fear, loneliness. I will give you rest. When we're in that emotional state, there's no rest, is there? So I want to give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you. Because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Are you at rest this morning? Are you dealing with fear, anger, or loneliness? Don't run from God, run to God. He wants to be your refuge. Let's praise. Father God, thank you. We thank you for David, for the stuff he got right and the stuff he didn't get right. We can learn from, from both. And God, we, you made us emotional people. We have our ups and downs. Uh, but those of us that are Jesus followers, uh, we have other options. We have the option to cast our cares on you. You go, God, I want to pray for folks here dealing with maybe some regrets. Maybe they're in the midst of this right now. Maybe making bad decisions or thinking about making bad decisions. God, we pray you would spare them. You would keep them from those decisions. We thank you so much that you forgive us. When we do, you, you, you forgave David, you'll forgive us. But the consequences don't go away. So God, I would just pray for any way possible that those consequences would be less severe. And we pray for anyone here, not a Jesus follower, this is trying to figure this out on their own, that they would come to you, God, accept that gift. We never, you're never alone. That's the amazing thing about being a Jesus follower. You are never alone. And we can trust you, God, with our future, with those decisions, with the fear, with the anger, with the loneliness. So, God, we thank you that you love us enough to provide that and so much more for us. And I pray for anyone here that hasn't accepted it. They would say, yes, yeah, yes. I can't do it on my own. I accept your gift, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.